Good evening to you all. While you're here, I know some of you had adventures in getting here, especially people traveling from parts of the country that were uh, very cold. So I think everybody's here or very close to it. So welcome to our uh, month of Dharma adventure together. So as you, you probably know, this month is especially uh, formatted at the Forest Refuge to offer instruction and the opportunity to practice concentration in particular. So this is an unusual opportunity. Uh, and for those of you who have practiced concentration before, or have tried to develop it before, you probably know that it takes a while, that uh, it's not a quick startup kind of experience. So to have a full month to be able to patiently and kindly and persistently and hopefully happily cultivate this is a fantastic thing. So we start tonight with introductions. So um, I'm Winnie Nazarko, and I'm a core teacher here at IMS. I teach fairly often at the Forest Refuge, and I teach at the IMS three-month retreat and also teach some shorter retreats. I teach occasionally at um, Spirit Rock, and I also teach other places, sometimes outside the U.S., but this is really my home base. I live here in Barrie. And I'm uh, delighted to be um, uh, teaching this month with uh, Marcia, who's uh, a very special teacher, as you will see, and who is um, kind of capping her career of teaching at IMS with this retreat this month. So. Marcia, why don't you say some things about yourself, and then we'll introduce our panel of guests. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I'm Marcia Rose. Um, yes, this is my capping, as Winnie said, uh, uh, at the age of 78 to no longer teach at the IMS uh, Forest Refuge uh, centers. I've been teaching here for over 25 years and uh, it's been a really incredibly wonderful experience and it feels like as I'm edging up onto 80 time to let it go. So thank you for being here to help me let it go. <laughs> uh, I do have a place in New Mexico where I live. I live in Taos, New Mexico and I uh, teach there. We have a, a, a retreat center uh, that we call the Mountain Hermitage, and I do teach there. I will be teaching there some more this year, uh, 1970 or 1979. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, I will be teaching this year, 2019, a, a few long retreats there, and. Um, uh, in 2020, I may, may, there's a slight chance I'll teach a short retreat there, but that will be it for retreat teaching. 
So I'm really uh, very excited and very happy to be here with you all uh, teaching something that I think is just uh, so valuable and uh, a wonderful thing to uh, bring into our practice on just about every level it's of use. So I'm very pleased that uh, Winnie and I are doing this together and that you all are here to do it with us. It's great. Thank you. So let me uh, briefly introduce our, our folks on the floor here in the front. So you may have met one or two or all three of these at some point in your, your time here, but uh, we have uh, the two retreat support people. We have uh, Alex and Karen. And then we have Bo, who is our mindful movement teacher. So he will be offering two sessions of mindful movement uh, for this month only, which is fantastic. And they all came over here despite having a time crunch over at the retreat center. So we promised... uh, that we would introduce them and then allow them to flee. But let me just say a couple words about them first. Um, um, All of them are practitioners of some length. And um, I know, uh, I think I first met Bo when he was on the three-month retreat a few years ago. And uh, he also works at... uh, IMS in another capacity, which is as one of the fantastic cooks. So he's also uh, got a great chanting voice and is otherwise a multi-talented <laughs> individual uh, uh, who's much appreciated in the community. And then there are there are the much uh, loved and well-regarded retreat support people that we have here. Alex is coming to the end of his uh, re- uh, term as retreat support soon. And Karen is uh, relatively new in the role, so she's getting uh, the handoff. Uh, Alex is going on to divinity school, and Karen is a well-regarded Buddhist scholar. So this is typical IMS folks. You know, they have these roles, but then, you know, there's all this other stuff about them. So they're not your average Joes and Janes. So <laughs> now just to say something about the retreat support role here. So retreat support people do the greeting when you come in. So you've probably connected with one of these folks or... Um, they also will help people with pragmatic things like if you have, have need to go to the Berry Clinic for a health thing. Uh, say if you needed to, to leave sooner than you thought you did because of a family emergency some, or something, they you know, might help you make reservations and pack up your room or something. Or um, sometimes um, if someone has like a very intense emotional stuff where you can't work with it directly uh, yourself where it, it feels too much. 
retreat support will be asked to be part of helping to settle you down. So sometimes a teacher will say, well, you know, why don't you go have a walk and talk with retreat support? Or if it was a situation where the teachers weren't around, you could pick up the red phone and call them. But you should think of this as a necessary contact, right? So what I try to avoid in order to not exploit them since they, you know, are sort of on duty 24-7 between the two of them is, okay, if you wake up in the middle of the night uh, and, you know, you're wondering how you can get black tea, uh, (laughs) don't call them, okay, because they got to sleep too. Okay, so you understand what I'm saying? So you don't want to misuse the resource. So if there is a contact with retreat support, the teachers will be uh, informed about that. So they're there to help, they're there to support uh, in coordination with with the teachers and the other staff on an as-needed basis. So is that pretty clear? So if you can't find your socks and it's 3 a.m., Karin doesn't need to know that, you know. Okay. So anyway, so this is our team. These folks plus the the other people who work at the Forest Refuge, the Brian and Bryony in the office and Brian Connady who does the facilities and Kathleen and other people and all the folks who work in the kitchen. All the administrative people at uh, IMS, the greater IMS who support the functioning here, these are all part of what makes it possible for you to be here and to have this extraordinary practice environment. So thank you everybody. Now, now you can go about your, your business and go do more work over there. <laughs> so thanks for coming over. Yes, thank you very much. Here we all are, <laughs> and you've certainly been warmly welcomed uh, when you first got here by one of the two retreat support people here, most likely. Uh, maybe by other staff members by now. You've had a day so far, most of you, to settle in. Some of you have been here for a while, so you've been practicing and settling in for maybe even some months. <laughs> How wonderful. And Winnie and I have just welcomed you again. So many, many warm welcomes. We're really, truly delighted that you're here. And for me, and I think I speak for all of us that uh, serve you here at the Forest Refuge and at the greater IMS uh, complex down the hill, it's really an honor to be here for this month of February with you in quite a unique and special way uh, in our culture. Not the usual way people 
spend time together in this culture that we live in. As we enter into retreat, each one of us alone and also all of us together, we're creating or we're co-creating a temporary village, a, a temporary spiritual practice community. So we come together, as one of my Burmese teachers used to say, as a Dhamma family. And even in the silence of this center, we come together and it seems to uh, connect that way as a Dhamma family. As each of us, all of us, are entering into this period of a commitment a commitment to exploring and to cultivating and to deepening our inner life. So over this month, we'll be exploring and cultivating and deepening uh, our capacity for a focused, concentrated attention. As you all know, and as Winnie's already mentioned, which also includes cultivating and opening the heart energy of kindness and care and patience. And also our samatha practice, our concentration practice, includes a growing intuitive sense of the conditions that are necessary for the blossoming of clear insight into the nature of things. I think that it's fair to say that for many, many people there's a tremendous amount of time and energy spent or maybe more accurately expended cultivating an outer life. Doing things and producing things and acquiring things and going places, being somebody being something. Well, this month, this month of February, will be quite special and quite unique in that none of this is really important. Nor will it be asked of you in the ordinary ways of the seeming requirements and the expectations of the world. So whether you've engaged in this particular way of practicing previously, or if this approach to concentration practice is relatively new for you, you very likely know that the experience that arises for many of us at the onset of a retreat, this sense of entering into a kind of sacred space, a sacred space and sacred time, a sense of entering into a kind of sanctuary. Both within our surroundings and also within ourselves. And for me, when I'm entering into the teaching mode, or if I'm beginning uh, a period of personal intensive practice, 
there's always this feeling in my heart, right now actually, as I'm talking about it, of stepping into sacred time and sacred space, both inwardly and in relationship to my surroundings and in relationship right now with all of you. It's really a very beautiful and a very precious footstep that we're all taking. And here at the Forest Refuge, we're, of course, as you've noticed, (laughs) in the midst of the very obvious beauty, incredible beauty and sacredness of all of the life surrounding us. And also the incredible diversity and natural rhythms of life happening here. The changes in the light, for instance. From dark to light, and again to darkness, and again to light. Ongoing, back and forth. The weather, this midwinter here in Massachusetts, with all of its many, many manifestations, and all of the changes that are going on and will continue to go on in this midwinter New England climate. All of the forms of life, the community of beings that we share this place with. Many breeds of birds, including quite a, uh, a bunch of wild turkeys. The occasional insect, even in the midst of winter. Uh, various other creatures, large and small. And of course, the abundant trees and all of the other manifestations of plant life here. And last but not least, in terms of what I wanted to mention this evening, this fresh, clear air that we're in the midst of. This natural world, so close around us, and so easily available to connect with. It's a great gift that we're not separate from. It's a gift, we could say, that holds us in itself. And this natural world is a wonderful teacher. A wonderful teacher for us of the sacred and the perfectly natural fluidity and diversity and change that just simply is. And so it's a mirror of the truth of ourself, our nature as nature. And we might consider that nature is actually no problem to itself. No problem to itself in itself. When left to itself, we could say. We can learn from this mirror of naturalness, the just isness, the just beingness, the absolute open-hearted presence, so to say, of this perfectly natural world. And I think that for many of us, one aspect of our human experience includes a natural and often 
easy or relatively easy open-hearted connection in moments of a simple, clear presence when we really take the time to truly arrive and be. To really just simply be. So for instance, maybe today with the late afternoon light or maybe an early morning sunrise at some point or maybe the changing sky colors at the close of the day or taking in the particulars of how this New England midwinter just simply and naturally displays itself in small ways and in large ways and constantly changing ways. And of course, along with any of this, a moment or moments of a very simple, silent, clear presence in our body, our heart, and our mind. Any time of the day, any time of the night. One day, in the 92nd year of her life, my mother uh, stopped for a few moments during our daily out-of-doors walk, and she stooped over and looked quite long and silently at a flower that was very full in its blooming, very full in its liveliness. And after a number of moments in that looking and connecting with this flower, she just simply said with great reverence, it's great to be alive. And probably to each of us has come some unexpected and unsuspected and maybe even exceptional moments during times of a very simple, clear, unfettered attention. Moments that we could, we could call it spiritual attention. And I think for many of us, the natural world is often the place that this can happen for us most easily, at least at first. As the days of this month-long practice period unfold, You'll be learning how to develop, purify, and focus this simple, clear, unfettered attention. One of the really wonderful things about being here at the Forest Refuge is that there's quite a huge degree of accumulated energy all of the people that have come here to learn and and to practice, all of those who have come here to do their inner work, to explore the nature of things, to cultivate the mind and the heart, all of the teachings that have been offered here and all of the teachers, the various teachers that have offered these teachings. It's a great gift of a symbiotic and ever-expanding energy that we're certainly partaking of 
and that we're certainly adding to. So really, how very fortunate that we're here. What a great gift to ourselves and each other. And during these retreat days, we have the great gift of being taken care of in a beautiful and simple way. All of our basic needs are met. While we're here, life is pared down, it's simplified from our usual daily activities and demands and the seeming needs. There's really not much to do this month. Sitting, walking, eating, hearing, spending a little bit of time each day with your yogi job, sleeping, not too much, but enough, and most importantly, relaxing and diligently learning to cultivate a clear, mindful focus of attention. So compared to the ways of the world, there's really not very much to do over these next weeks, which I think is a really good thing to remember because some of you may have such a strong habit of keeping busy that you may go on creating all sorts of things to do just simply out of habit. So do remember, there's not much to do these next weeks. I think it's fair to say that for many of us, our mind is sometimes kind of like a junkyard. So what do I mean by that? The junkyard mind. Well, there's lots of rubbish that we uh, put into and store in our mind. Myriad conversations. Maybe things we've read in books and magazines. Tons of stuff from online, from the computer, and all sorts of entertainments that we've taken in and partaken in. We just kind of pour it all in. Someone once said to me in retreat that she said there was a veritable jam session going on in her mind. Well, the problem is that actually all of this renders us very, very tired. It's exhausting, actually. And then, of course, there's the worldly work that you do, both to make a living and maybe volunteer work that you do, which certainly, certainly may be very compassionate and creative work. But if we don't take the time to replenish, we can give out. No matter how good and no matter how fulfilling our work is. And for most people, 
the more usual ways of replenishing and rejuvenating and resting. Maybe things like watching television or watching something on the computer or on your iPhone or going out somewhere. None of these are really, really, truly rejuvenating. They really don't give us a real rest. And even sleep doesn't really give the mind a true rest. Although we need sleep, it's part of part of our human <laughs> need. For a really genuine and deep relaxation and rejuvenation, we need to give the mind and the heart some inner space to clear out the junkyard, so to say. Quiet the inner noise. And the way to do this is to keep the mind, to keep the attention purely in the moment in a simple way. This is what's healing. This is what's really the best rest for the mind and the heart. The mind and body relaxed, alert, and focused. And I'm sure many of you have tasted at least a moment or maybe many moments of this. With even just a few moments, one feels refreshed and clear and clear-minded and more wakeful. And so we, re- we begin our retreat learning and practicing towards keeping the mind focused in the moment with the attention purely and simply on the sensations of the in-breath and the out-breath in the general area of the nostrils, which may be something that many of you are already doing, and if not, something that we're, we will ask you to at least explore during these weeks. It's a wonderfully simple, though not always so easy, approach to training the mind to be and stay in the moment. So one of the things that we're practicing in this light is renunciation. Meaning in this case, letting go of busyness. Letting go of the usual distractions that you engage in to try to relax out of all the busyness. This is one of the gifts of renunciation. Really simplifying our life and just simply being. Not becoming anything or anybody. And not filling up the mind with more stuff. But rather just simply being and directly connecting with your experience of the simple sensations of the breath just as it is in any given moment. And so we begin in this 
sanctuary, the sanctuary of the forest refuge, this place of safety and protection, this place that holds and engenders a deep respect and acceptance. And as I've already said, what a valuable gift you've given yourself to be here now and that you give to each other simply by being here and practicing together in this extended Dhamma family. I think for just about everybody, there are various mental and physical states that come up at the onset of a retreat and that may come up ongoing or at various times when one's in retreat. So excitement maybe. Maybe some nervousness or worry. Maybe delight. You may have brought with you some degree of expectation. Maybe you're feeling a sense of relief. Ah, at last, at last I'm in retreat again. Great relief, maybe. So there's lots of energy moving through our body and our mind and our heart even for people who have sat many, many retreats, which many of you have. Why? Because, as we know, or at least I hope you know, (laughs) that every retreat is unpredictable in the unique ways that it will unfold. So let go of your expectations and just be. For me, in, in teaching uh, or beginning a time of personal retreat, many of these same flavors of uh, energy move through my mind and my heart and my body. It's just how human nature works when we ever, whenever we enter into something new. And this is something new, even if you've sat... 50 retreats before you came to this one. This is a new, new time. And really how fortunate it is that we're embodied as we are in this human form. This precious human existence. Making it possible to practice. Making it possible to be able to look within and to cultivate a pure, concentrated and balanced heart and mind rooted in kindness, compassion and wisdom. We're actually a minority, a small minority on this earth and an even smaller minority in the universe. And who knows beyond? Think about it for a moment. There are more than 11 million species living on this planet. So consider insects, for instance. A friend of mine who owns and runs a plant nursery told me that there are 2 
hundred million bugs, as she put it, per human on this planet. Amazing. Two hundred million bugs for each of us. (laughs) So how fortunate that we are embodied as we are in this human form. How rare, really. The human mind and heart and body are really the most conducive towards developing the purity of a concentrated mind rooted in kindness and compassion and joy and equanimity and the great gift of wisdom because of the particular mixture that each one of us has of both pleasure and pain. There's just enough of each. Of course, sometimes a little more of one, sometimes a little more of the other, and at times maybe great huge handfuls of one and seemingly nothing of the other, or not much anyway. But the truth is that it changes back and forth, back and forth, within a week, daily, and even within moments. So really this, this human realm that we find ourselves in offers us the best conditions that we could ask for. This is the place. This rare and precious human realm that we very fortunately find ourselves in. It's said that if the world were water, if the, all the world were water, all this planet were water, and a wooden ring one foot in diameter was thrown upon the water and then blown about by the winds, it's said that a blind turtle surfacing once every hundred years would put its neck through this wooden ring more easily than one can obtain a precious human existence. We really are a rare species within this enormous breadth of life, all different life forms on this planet. The ancient texts tell us that those who have a precious human existence, with all of the conditions and all of the opportunities and all of the blessings in place to meet the Dhamma and to practice the Dhamma, to practice the purification of the heart and the mind, to practice the way of the truth and wisdom, that these beings are as rare as daytime stars. So here we all are this evening with all of the conditions and all of the blessings in place and a wonderful month-long opportunity ahead of us. A time of cultivation and discovery. A time of exploration and purification. Surprise and understanding. Which some of the time might not be so easy. And even maybe quite challenging at times. But really, all the while, 
Your time here very much includes the real potential for bringing forth experiences of deep relaxation, calm, tranquility, joy, happiness, equanimity, and illumination. As we enter into this period of sustained spiritual practice, there are a few specific supports that are very readily available for you. So I'd like to take just a brief look at one of these supports with you, and Winnie will explore the other supports with you. And this first support that I'd like to explore a little bit is the wonderful gift of silence. The silence that very gently holds us in itself. Silence is really quite amazing in certain ways. It doesn't expect anything. It doesn't judge. Silence is infinitely patient, boundlessly spacious, open, allowing, and totally accepting. This container of silence that has no boundaries and that everything comes out of and returns to. And of course, with, within the silence, there are sounds, all kinds of sounds that arise and pass. At times you'll hear the sound of my voice and the sound of Winnie's voice, occasionally other voices. You may hear sighs, maybe cries, maybe laughs, and quite likely some coughs and sneezes moving bodies, maybe very occasionally the roar of an engine, certainly the sounds of bells and birds, the sound of wind and various other weather sounds. So all kinds of sounds arising and passing in the midst of silence. And sometimes, I think we interpret sound as noise. Right? We think it's noise. So I think it's important in retreat here to note that this is an interpretation and to notice it. Is this this or that sound noise? And what happens if it's noise? Are you relaxed? Are you receptive? Is your heart open uh, to simply hearing and receiving the sound? Or is there some degree of contraction? Some form of aversion, resistance, the irritation of being disturbed? And if it's just a sound being heard, a different relationship, Our relationship to it is basically one of relaxed acceptance, just simply and directly hearing, which may be accompanied by a simple pleasant or unpleasant or neutral feeling tone. 
Of course, we're not always in relationship, in this easy, open, receptive relationship to sound. So with an open heart and an open mind, just mindfully notice your response or your reaction to sound and noticing without judgment, without self-condemnation, without expectation, in the midst of silence. Sometimes within the silence of a retreat, it feels as though all of the windows of the world, all the windows of the universe, all the windows of life itself, have been thrown wide open within us. And when this is our experience, there can be a sense of freshness and beauty and an inner sense of open-hearted receptivity and stillness and a fresh clarity, as though a fresh clarity has been let in. I've heard from many people that they find that this support of silence in retreat is one of the most precious aspects of their retreat time because it holds everything. But it doesn't hold on to anything. Everything just simply and naturally comes and goes in this spacious, patient acceptance of silence. And again, the key here is that you don't have to be anybody. You really don't have to be anybody special. You don't have to present yourself. You don't have to be somebody or become a somebody. You just simply be. And it is a great relief, actually, to just simply be. Silence is where we learn to sense, to see, and to really, truly know our experience. In this receptive and respectful, supportive and beautiful container of silence lies the possibility for the boundless blossoming of our practice. So this is our first support, silence. And I always like to take some time to explore it at the onset of a retreat because there's so much more to it than just not talking. So thank you for listening. And Winnie will go over the other supports that we have here.
You still with me? Okay. I know it's been a long day for a lot of you. We're going to start the retreat formally now by taking the refuges and precepts together as a community. And I'm sure for most of you this is something that you've done many times. But I still want to give a little frame for why we're doing this to help bring forward context and uh, see if we can engage with this in a new kind of way that has some depth. In taking the refuges, we're basically saying for this period of time now, we, we are turning towards three things as our framework for practice. We're turning towards the Buddha. You may understand this as the historical Buddha. You may hold this as the Buddha nature potential that we all have, the very self-same capacity to awaken through self-effort that the Buddha so fully manifested, but which is actually part of all of our gift. So we take refuge in the Buddha, we're saying, okay, this cultivation here has to do with awakening or developing or recognizing this aspect of our being, this part of our nature, this capacity that we can fulfill, that we can develop. And then we take refuge in the, the Dhamma, which can be understood as the teachings of the Buddha. In this particular tradition, a lot of those teachings are in the, uh, the suttas. In the suttas and in um, Abhidharma. But we can also consider the Dhamma as being taking refuge in the truth itself. Because there's nothing, nothing that is outside the Dhamma and nothing that is true, nothing that is part of objective reality which can be conflictual with the Dharma. Because the Dharma is always an expression of what is true. So we're saying, when we take refuge in the Dharma, that we're interested in the truth. That we're going to follow the path of truth to support our opening of our potentiality. And then we say we take refuge in the Sangha, which historically is understood as the community of monastic practitioners particularly those who have attained some degree of awakening. But it's also held as the community of practitioners, period. Those who walk the same kind of path that we do, those that also hold the reference point of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, and who practice the Eightfold Path. So we're saying when we take the refuges, 
this is what we're here for and this is what we're going to be doing in our time here. This is the orientation of our heart. This is the orientation of our, our effort. So let's take the refuges together and then I'll say a couple of things about the precepts and we can take those too. Tassa Bhagavato Arato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arato Sama Sambuddhasa Buddham saranam gachami, dhammam saranam gachami, sangam saranam gachami, dutiampi buddham saranam gachami, dutiampi dhammam saranam gachami. Dutiampi sangam saranam gachami Tatiampi buddham saranam gachami Tatiampi dhammam saranam gachami Tatiampi sangam saranam gachami And now we're on to another very significant communal ritual which helps create the practice container, which is the taking of the precepts together. How wonderful, how amazing it is to be in a place where you can assume the basic morality of everyone around you. That's not so common, is it? Where you don't have to worry about people taking your stuff or messing with you or, you know, falling down in unconsciousness due to intoxicants or any of that. So to do this deep work, this deep practice work, this deep cultivation, we need that baseline of safety. And the precepts are the ground which provides this, that provides safety to ourselves and provides safety to immeasurable beings. So it's a great gift to ourselves and to others to live in this way generally, but also to speak this commitment out loud as a community in the course of doing this retreat. Some people uh, think of these as <coughs> rules, but rules is much too limited an understanding of what this is because this is really more about training the mind in harmlessness, training the heart in the direction of 
metta and compassion, through forbearance, through offering the gift of safety to others. But it's also the practice of wisdom. Because we know when the mind doesn't observe this kind of basic morality, that doesn't cultivate this basic kind of wholesomeness of behavior in body, speech, and mind, that the mind is a mess. The mind is a mess and it suffers. And then it does stuff that creates suffering for others in itself and gets further and further enmeshed. So to do the kind of practice that we're talking about doing here, to do any kind of serious spiritual practice, you have to stop doing the things that mess you up. So the Buddha is very clear in his teachings, one of the most important aspects of mundane right view or mundane wise view is the differentiation between what's wholesome and what's not wholesome, or what's skillful and what's not skillful. And it's all along this axis of whether actions of body, speech, or mind are born of wisdom, compassion, uh, and renunciation, or whether they're born of greed, aversion, and delusion. And he says, if you want to be happy, you cultivate the wholesome. Cultivate the wholesome. So that is part of what we're practicing here in the month that we have together as well. And we're practicing that as a community as well as personally. So the first of um, the precepts, of course, is not um, killing living beings. I don't think we have much to fear from each other in regard to that particular one. You may need to escort an insect out of the building, if you can, if you find one around. Uh, The second is to refrain from taking what is not given. So obviously you're not going to be taking each other's stuff. (laughs) That goes without saying. Um, But another way that you can think of this is, can you incline the mind to be content with, to be okay with the conditions that are here for practice? So to the extent... Uh, that is reasonable, meaning, you know, not self-destructive or kind of nutty, you know, can you accept the conditions? If, for instance, if you can do your yogi job okay without hurting yourself or something, you know, can you settle on what you get? You know, can you settle on the, the room that you get unless there's something crazy about that? You know, can you just be okay with what's here, with what's offered to eat, what's with, uh, you know, the times of the meals, with all the rest of the setup. So this practice of contentment, of letting go of demands upon things, is actually a really important support for practice. Being okay with how it is here. Then there's the precept of refraining from any kind of intentional sexual activity. 
So this isn't a statement that sexuality is, is bad or toxic or anything like that. That would be an aversive view. What's being said here is, for the t- period of time that we're here doing practice, we're going to direct our energies otherwise. Right? So something that might be uh, enjoyable and wholesome and, and not harmful in another setting, we're not going to act on because we're basically going to uh, practice some renunciation and restraint and see if we can uh, channel the energy that we have available in our uh, body, heart, and mind in a different direction. And um, the third of uh, the next thing is uh, to refrain from speaking falsely. Well, you know, you're not going to be speaking much, right? So, <laughs> um, where this uh, particularly pertains would be to see if you can be forthright and um, uh, truthful in your practice meetings with the teachers. Um, You're in safe hands here. So you can be yourself. You can say what's what when you come in. And another dimension of this is uh, not like leaving notes for each other, not talking to each other, or uh, staying off the digital devices. It's really important. It's really important because our focus is so absorbed in them because they're such a multi-purpose soothing device, connecting device, uh, indulgent in a way that's close to intoxication, stress relieving. I mean, you name it. Think of all the functions that uh, digital connection provide for us, you know, social media, self-identity. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. And it's important to cut that completely. Now, if you have um, a need to get online, go to the office, leave a note for teacher, and uh, with the teachers okay, you can go to the office and they'll, they'll put you online. But if you're, if you're not wholehearted with this one, I'll just be blunt, I'll just say it. Your practice ain't going nowhere. It ain't going to be Jack. <laughs> and so... Because you're sneaking. So that's an important one. Uh, and then the last is to refrain from using intoxicants which cloud the mind and lead to heedlessness. Well, so maybe that's kind of rolled in with digital use too, isn't it? So that's self-explanatory. So we're, we're practicing uh, detoxification and clarity of mind, uh, not uh, escapism through dulling the 
the heart, mind, and the senses. So living in a rather strict way by these five precepts could be something that's a little bit different than you do in your daily life. You know, maybe you're, you're used to uh, using your phone a lot. Well, yeah, almost everybody is. You know, maybe you're used to having a glass of wine at night or, uh, you know, watching TV to cool out. So you can almost expect that there's going to be a certain amount of detox taking place when you go on retreat. So that's all just part of it, too. Part of it, too. So the provision of safety to the community, the uh, provision of uh, safety to ourselves, the cultivation of what is wholesome, the letting go of what is not wholesome, the letting go of distractions, the creating of karma that supports the practice that we're doing. This is all part of uh, taking the precepts with uh, intention in mind. So, and I, I know that there are some people here who are on eight precepts. Who's on eight, eight precepts or more? Many precepts, okay. Uh, so the most significant of these for practical purposes, of course, is to refrain from eating solid food after the midday meal. So if you are on the eight precepts or you wish to be on the eight precepts, when we get to the, when we jointly get uh, to the end of five, then just continue on with the chanting of the additional three, okay? The Buddha would often talk about the, the bliss of blamelessness. In his own time, people would throw a lot of stuff at him, you know. Just being the Buddha apparently didn't exempt you from criticism (laughs) or even uh, attempts at assassination and, you know, various types of stories being made up about you uh, in the the attempt to delegitimize you and your teachings. So he he had a lot of stuff uh, to deal with himself from other sources, but he always was able to reflect on and rely upon his knowing for himself his own goodness. He knew his own goodness. He knew his own intentions. He knew his own morality. And it was a power. On the night of his, his awakening, if you remember the classic story, when he was assailed by the daughters of Mara and the the final parting shot to him was who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you think you can awaken? If you remember what happened then was he touched the earth and asked the earth to witness the legitimacy of his quest and the purity of his intentions. 
So we can cultivate this in ourselves, a kind of unshakable, wholesome self-regard that's actually a huge practice asset. Hey, I've got some sila. I can practice. So it's a good good start. So we'll start clean and we'll start fresh with the cultivation of sila for this retreat. So let's chant the precepts together in Pali. Pata veramni sikapadam samadhyami adina dana veramni sikapadam samadhyami abrahmacharya veramni sikapadam samadhyami musa vada Veramni Sikapadam Samadhyami Sura Mereya Japanata Veramni Samadhyami Vikala Bojana Veramni Sikapadam Samadhyami Nacha Gita Vadita Visukadasana Malaganda Vilepana Dharana Mandana Vipusanatana Veramni Sikapadam Samadhyami Usasayana Mahasayana Veramni Sikapadam Samadhyami Everyone, idam me silam maga palanyana sa bachayo o tu. And that last phrase is a recognition that our morality is a path factor. It's important. So we've come to the end of our our evening with you. And um, just to give you a little bit of flavor of what's going to be happening in the next few days here, Marcia and I uh, are not uh, teaching tomorrow. Sunday will be our day of theoretical rest, but really it's more like getting things ready for the rest of the week. And uh, we'll be back on Monday morning with um, interviews and a talk. And we have a, a plan for a very active practice meeting schedule. So we've got it planned that each of you will be seen every other day. So you... You won't get into too much mischief before we hear about it. So, so help will be available. And uh, our plan is also to be offering four 
Dharma talks or um, similar activities like guided meditations or Q&A, etc., uh, a week. And uh, morning reflections in the morning. And do folks know that at the first sit, there's the opportunity to do the metta chant? So who's been leading that? That's what I was wondering. Do you have somebody who's willing to start that? Oh, okay, great. great. Thank Excellent. you. Thank you. So that's a, a good way to cultivate a sense of community. And that chant has been offered here uh, every morning for, for many years. So chanting that chant together, really useful. And there may be some more chanting offered too. We may have a, a session or two of call and response Meta going through all the categories of beings that could be fun to do. So I wish you well to settle in. I'm pleased to see some folks that I know already. I have met uh, before, and I know there's people here that I, I haven't met before. And um, I'm looking forward to connecting with you and offering the support that that I can, and I'm sure Marcia feels exactly the same. So have a good rest. You're free-range yogis tomorrow, (laughs) but not too free. (laughs) So have a good sleep. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.